Campbell from Palliative Care Australia. Welcome to our new video and podcast series, Thursdays at 3, conversations with people living and working at the end of life. With over 40 years experience in nursing, our guest today, Rose Sexton, has seen a thing or two. Her passion for palliative care and end of life emerged early in her career with active interest in oncology nursing. She's completed postgraduate studies in palliative care back in 2011 and currently works for Northeast Health in Wangaratta, Victoria, in community palliative care. Alongside these health-related passions, she is at heart a muso, an actress. With Salvation Jane, the four-piece a cappella group she founded over 30 years ago, she happily sings about dying and going to heaven. Rose also has had personal experience in caring for her husband through his end-of-life journey back in 2019. Around this same time, Salvation Jane created a show called Life, Love and Loss to further explore their themes and interest here. Salvation Jane will play at the National Folk Festival in Canberra over the Easter long weekend. Rose, lots to talk about today. Where to start? Perhaps with your oncology nursing career. That seems to have lit the flame, lit the spark for your passion in palliative care and end-of-life care. Yes, that's true. I think... uh... From, from early on in my career, I, I was drawn, always drawn to caring for people at the end of life and then I discovered oncology nursing and um, got the opportunity to work in that environment and really loved it and loved the opportunity to follow alongside with, with people at, you know, through their journey instead of just um, you come in, you know, the appendix in bed three or whatever it is and, and you come in, you say goodbye at the end of the day and you never see them again. I, I really love that being able to engage with somebody on a more of a long-term um, uh, basis and, and, and also uh, working with people at this. It's a very intense and very real time of people's lives and it seems like the only kind of nursing that really made much sense to me, my own benefit. Yeah. Rose, what was it about oncology nursing uh, that led to this passion of yours for end-of-life care, for palliative care? I think there's something about uh, people being uh, being confronted with uh, their own mortality uh, that brings out um, a lot more vulnerability and a lot more uh, people get very real, a lot of the time anyway, um, and that's where I love to connect with people. Um, I've never really been drawn to the kind of nursing where, you know, they come in one day, you, you fix them up, and then they're out the next day and you say, bye, never see you again. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, so I really love that idea of being able to journey alongside people in, their, um, in, in this incredibly intense time um, and uh, be available and be uh, around for those kind of the conversations and the experiences that people have. You know, you, you do develop... Uh, really strong connections with people, especially in oncology and palliative care too. Um, and for me personally, that's just the kind of way that I prefer to live my life. <laughs> Rose, I think any sort of um, medical career, whether it's nursing or being a doctor or allied health professional, probably leaves a mark on you, but especially so working in end-of-life care, it leaves a mark on you. How does it influence your day-to-day life, your, your life outside of work? Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's a it's a back and forth. Um, I you know obviously I I get 
uh, as much out of people working with people as you know I, I give as well. So uh, that's I much prefer that kind of um, interaction uh, across all of my um, across all of my life. Yeah. Um, so uh, I I get to e explore and um, grapple with my own mortality mm -hmm. when I'm working with people that are doing the same. And, you know, it's a bit of a, it's, yeah, it's a back and forth. It's very reciprocal. Is it sad work? Does it get you down? Yes, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there, there were times that, yeah, it is sad. Um, but that's all, that's part of life, you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's that sort of whole holistic care and the whole experience that I really uh, I, I really appreciate. I, I appreciate the opportunity to do this in my in my um, professional life, um, and that spills out across all of my life. You know, people in my personal life are always or often rolling their eyes when, when I start talking about uh, end of life and, and <laughs> after death care and all that sort of thing because I am so passionate about it and. I'm, I do get up on my soapbox about it because there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of work to be done in this area. There's, there's quite a quite a lot of things that are uh, are lacking, and I'd love to see changed. Rose, tell us about the work you do day to day and the team that you're a part of. You're you're working in the community, providing palliative care in the community. What does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, well, generally. Um, the main focus is to support people as they journey towards their the end of their lives and to support them to die in their place of choosing. So um, we know the statistics around uh, dying at home are that most people would prefer to, that to be the case and uh, we're not really anywhere near those numbers in Australia or probably across the world. Um, and so the palliative care team uh, has that, goal of supporting people to die at home if that's what they want but also mm -hmm. wherever they want and and providing support giving them um, a lot of the things that people don't they don't even know what they're um, able to access so um, it's it's a real joy when you come along and you say this is what we can do um, and it's about dying it's about living as well as you can for as long mm -hmm. as you can and not just about taking care of you at the end of your life yeah. And so uh, when we when we offer all, all the care that we can, um, it's a real joy to see people, um, uh, their, their quality of life being improved by that. And yeah. really powerful to do that, I imagine, in a regional community like, like Wangaratta. Yes, I'm a fairly new addition to Wangaratta. I've been living in Mount Beauty for the last 25 years mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, I was working at the local hospital there. And it's certainly been for the, the opportunities that I had to um, practice my palliative care skills while I was in Mount Beauty. Uh, it's incredibly rich. It can be very complicated when you're taking care of people that you've known for years and years or uh, people's relatives. And it, it is a communal experience. And so sometimes the boundaries can be a bit blurred. So it's quite challenging too to, uh, to manage those um, those conflicts uh, of um, interest and also of uh, of heart, you know. There's times when you you want to do everything you can for this person because you know them, you know, they've been friends of yours or whatever it is, but um, you've got to be careful not to overstep that. Uh, but I, I find that even 
uh, it's so much more rewarding than, uh, say, living in, working in the city where these people, you don't have any connection to them apart from the health connection that you've got. Yeah. yeah. There was a bit of a fire in your belly um, earlier, Rose, where you talked about change. Um, we need to do this yes. better, I think, was a, yes. was a line that you, you said. What needs to change in terms of, I guess, within families, within communities, but perhaps also within the health system? Where would you start if you were you were health minister? Wave a wand and get this done, Rose. What needs to change? How do we? How can we do this better? Uh, I would a um, couple of things. I would try and get um, compassionate communities uh, installed in across Australia, um, and uh, that's a, it's a that's a model that's come out of uh, Britain, and it's it's. There's a couple of communities in Australia that are actually doing it, which is fantastic, yes. but I'd try and make that more widespread. And in the process of doing that, or in, well, if we couldn't do that, then at least um, public information, the p people in general need to, to know more about uh, death and dying, um, funerals, advanced care planning, what palliative care really is. Um, and just in general, we need to start talking death more we don't we've lost over the last hundred years we've lost touch with and uh, death and dying um, through the medical industry and through the funeral industry um, what used to be a communal experience we all knew what to do uh, when someone died okay the, the whole community would go into action everybody had their roles to play and we all knew what to do because we'd seen it over and over again. Mm -hmm. And now because of medical advances, people aren't dying at home or young the way they used to. Um, and so it's, and it's been taken away from us. You know, death is hidden. It's kept in the, in the background and, you know, hushed tones and, oh, isn't that a bit morbid? And, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Um, yeah. And so we've lost agency around uh, death and dying. We don't, we, we somehow have this magical thinking that it's not going to happen to us. I reckon deep down inside everybody, <laughs> we all think, oh, that's all right. Oh, that's terrible that they've died, but that's not going to happen to me. Um, Why yeah. would we do it though, Rose? What's the what's the pitch for for being more interested in, in in death and dying? What benefit does that have for the living to to play a greater role in death and dying? I think you, if you asked, just stop people on the street you would find that most of them have a horror death story, whether mm -hmm. they've watched a loved one die badly um, through poor planning or lack of access to really good palliative care, um, uh, or they've seen terrible funerals or funerals that didn't mean anything to anybody, um, uh, terrible after-death consequences like um, grappling over wills and, you know, family destruction because of, um, uh, I've got a million stories about how how badly if you don't plan for this, um, the the terrible things that can happen, and yes. especially now we have blended families, um, and a lot more of that. You know, the, a partner that's been around for ten years and the children who don't like them, and you know, and how that can all play out at the end of life. Um, advanced care planning. If you, you know, you can end up with some really terrible. Um, consequences by not um sorry my phone's ringing i'm trying to keep it quiet by not making a plan there you go <laughs> by, by not making a plan uh you could end up in a situation that you're not happy with 
Um, but if you die, you've left your family in a situation where they're wondering whether they did the right thing, did they do enough, and they've got to live with that for the rest of their lives, yeah. that, that not knowing. There's so many, um, there's so many reasons why uh, you should, we should all have an advanced care plan and we should all have a good plan about funerals and, and um, the kind of care that we want um, and, and to be engaged in that and to be, to be aware of it so that we can all talk about it. If we, don't, if we don't talk about it, then we're constantly running from, you know, this tiger behind us. You know, we think, oh, God, there's a tiger behind me. And, it's, and you turn around and look at it, you know, oh, no, it's just a little kitten. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have anything to worry about, but the rest of the I've spent my whole life living as though I'm not going to die. And so I've, I've missed opportunities. Uh, the, the stories about, you know, people who retire and the day after they retire, they drop dead of a heart attack and all these, all these things that I wish, you know, we planned for all this and now we can't do it. I wish we'd done this. I wish we'd done that. The regrets of the people who are uh, you know, in that position. Rose, listening to you speak, it sounds like that if you engage in these conversations, if you do the planning and the, the, the thinking that you point to, relationships within a family, within a friendship circle are enriched and perhaps also the, the grief and bereavement process that naturally follows someone's death is perhaps a, a lighter weight to carry as, as well. Yes, Am I right? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just being, being able to uh, approach death um, with, with as much realness as you can, you know, it, it, it doesn't always happen that way. We don't always achieve that wonderful result of somebody sort of accepting death totally and, you know, walking towards it with arms open wide <laughs> and everybody's on board and everybody's happy, you know. That's, yeah. that, that's not always going to happen. But if there is that degree of um, like a reckoning, I suppose, with, with your life and, and, and being prepared to say, okay, I could be dying. And, and a lot of the time, I, mean, I saw that with my husband that um, – that I really uh, hadn't appreciated before is that holding those two realities at once. People think once you say I'm uh, going towards the palliative route, then I leave behind any any chance of uh, a cure or of um, even of improvement. Um, but but carrying those two possibilities at once, where you're saying I'm, I'm accepting treatment, it might it might turn things around, but I'm also going to. Uh, start thinking I could die from this and how, mm -hmm. how will that look? You know, how do I approach my own death? Do I have to do any um, uh, self-reflection? Do, do I have to repair any relationships? Do I have to prepare for the people when I'm gone? What, what happens to that, to all of my things? <laughs> all, yeah. all those yeah. questions and, you know, who's got, how they're all going to be without me. Um, do I, is there anything that I've um, not um, finished and um, yeah, Rose, you in 2018, you you were you co-founded the launch of a of a program called End Stage Matters to help us do this, and you've even developed a, a card game to help these conversations along. Tell us about the Death Deck, this card yeah, game. Well, you're part of. Yeah, I I didn't develop it. It's been developed by two women in the states. Gotcha. Uh, but but my my partner Nicole, my business partner Nicole, and I are the Australian distributors. It's called the Death Deck, and it's uh, it's just a whole bunch of uh, questions that you can throw out to people around, say, a death cafe type um, 
environment. Um, and they the, the questions range from, from the funny to the more serious um, about after death, during, you know, before death, uh, anything about your ideas about um, death and, and society. Um, but it's a really, it's a really great, a great tool. There, there are a lot of um, card game interactive type things that you can get. There's a few from Australia as well, uh, but we've just become the distributors for this one. I'll include uh, links to the End Stage Matters uh, website within the, the show notes for our chat today. Rose, I think perhaps one of the reasons people are reluctant to talk about death is that we're we're scared of it, we're we're fearful of it, and and I get that, but, you know, it's it's the end of a life, and we don't know what happens next. Yeah. What have you learnt about death and and dying? What is it? you've you've been there when people have 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 died? Can you let us in on the dying process? What you know, we we don't have this experience until we find ourselves in the in the middle of it. Tell us a bit about the dying process. What have you witnessed? What can you share? Well, that it's different for everybody. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's it, you know, there's a controversial idea about a good death and what's a good death and whether we should even be defining anything as a as a good death. Yeah. Um, Perhaps we should go for a good enough death or a good death for you. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. uh, I think that I've seen uh, a lot of um, a lot of great transformation at the end um, when often when when people realise that this is you know this is going to happen this is actually happening. Um, there is a great opportunity for people to uh, to to bring everybody into that space, and it really is it's sacred space when people are actually dying, like in that really that terminal phase. Um, uh, it, it's it's just such um, a magnificent opportunities for families or whatever family is for that person to be together. Mm-hmm. And to bear witness to that life and what that life meant, um, uh, I see that as a ritual as well as you know the after death rituals of funerals and things. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people find it really hard, and they sort of say, "Oh, you know, um, can't we just you know skip over this bit?" Or you know, this is really awful to be sitting here watching this person die. Um, but I would love to invite people to see that in a different way and to see it as you know a vigil keeping vigil um just the way as we come into this world through a labor um we go out in in labor as well and i've definitely seen that that with a close friend of mine it really really was a labor she had all the the, like the, the the sounds of labor and it took time um and there's there's just something uh irreplaceable about that those kind of opportunities to sit together with this person who's dying and to um yeah to to stand by and sort of say to to give that time to them um in honor of of who they were and who they are and and also to learn about our own dying and to Mm -hmm. sort of see this one day will happen to me whichever way it turns out um but to sort of um even to to make that kind of hope that maybe I can have this kind of a death as well. Yeah. 
some beautiful words and beautiful sentiments there, Rose. And I, I can't help but think there's a there's perhaps a connection there to the compassionate communities movement that you mentioned before, that you'd love to see compassionate communities right across Australia. And compassionate communities, if I'm if I'm sort of giving the, the thumbnail description correctly, it's about it's people engaging more with the death and dying process and and people in that wider community supporting people and supporting families who are going through the end of life process. What's your advice for for people who are, I guess, you know, one or two steps removed, but know what's going on for a family or know what's going on for a, a, a person, but who might be reluctant to engage, might be a bit nervous about going going there. What's your advice for those people who who have that tug in their heart, who want to want to help, want to get involved, but don't know don't know how or or are a bit nervous about it? Yeah, that's a great question because it's true there. Everybody wants to help, um, but they don't know. We've lost, again, we've, we've lost that knowledge of, oh, this is what I do. You know, this is, you know, in, in this um, structure, I'm uh, at this level of, with, in relation to this family, so that's what I do. So it's, it's simple things like uh, going to mow the lawn or um, uh, putting out the bins, all those sort of practical things or trying to find out from put someone who's nearby but not right into like say if you have a man dying and his wife is taking care of him then contact one of the children or somebody who's just a little bit removed and say I want to help I want to do something please give me a job (laughs) Um, instead of say contacting the wife and saying if there's anything you need just let me know because she's not going to she's too overwhelmed and um you know, like it's it's hard enough taking care of a full-grown adult. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have to then go and direct somebody to do something else, it's just, yeah, please don't ask me. Um, but um, there are definitely jobs that need to be done and you need to gather a little crew around you. Yeah. Um, there is an actual app called Gather My Crew and there's, a, there's several others as well, Jointly and some other apps that actually corral a group of people um, to support. And it could be um, he's going to an appointment that's an hour or an hour's drive away. Um, I need someone to do that. And so uh, if uh, I always encourage um, carers to maybe uh, get somebody to be that's in their close circle to be the um, the project manager yeah. <laughs> and to yes. sort of take over uh, from all those other all those outside jobs that can be done by anybody, but you just need you need someone to go and you know clean my car, <laughs> please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Step the roses, you know all this stuff that is going to be, oh I've got to do that, but I can't I just can't get to it. And that's the beauty of of compassionate communities and those other other yeah. sort of. The, the apps you mentioned, it provides that framework for people yeah. and communities to operate within. And yeah. I'll put some links uh, in the in the show notes. And uh, Professor Samar Anun, our West Australian Australian of the Year, is a great advocate for, for compassionate communities mm. and she's really keen to see them grow across Australia uh, yeah. as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a reclaiming of death and dying mm-hmm. um, that we've lost. And, and uh, it would be... A, um, It'd be it's building on what we what we used to do, um, but it, it's it's even it's more intentional and it gives people structure, as you say. Yeah. yeah. 
Rosam, keen to talk uh, about Salvation Jane and how you guys use death and dying uh, as part of music. But but if you don't mind, I'm also keen to reflect on your personal experience. You caring for your your husband and his end of life journey in in 2019. Your your professional and your personal worlds collided. What can you share with us about that, about that time yeah. in your life? Yeah, it was interesting because I discovered the, a thing called the death doula. Uh, in 2016, um, Bill, my husband, uh, we were just friends at the time. We'd only just met and he was a yoga instructor and he was helping this man who was um, uh, uh, approaching the end of his life and he was working with him and we were both just sort of saying, oh, I wish there was um, somebody, you know, these people need someone to come along and sort of um, uh, like not so much project manage but to be like a case manager for them and to help them uh, introduce them to all the things that they are uh, they're eligible for and and just you know they're both just floundering so much they just need somebody to to help them and uh through my internet searching uh, i found the role of a death doula and so we both embarked on some training and started doing, we put together a show because we, he was a um, musician too. We were in a duo. Uh, we put together a show called um, uh, the Death Trivia Night. Um, and so uh, we in- included all these music um, that's sort of related to death and like staying alive and ship of fools and all those sort of things. Um, and yeah, it was a fantastic night. Um, and then pretty soon after that, he was diagnosed with secondary melanoma. And so then it was sort of like the universe, like I sort of said, okay, well, I really want to learn about death and dying. <laughs> and the universe, they're like, bang, there you go. Here's a good course, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, so um, that was, yeah, two and a half year journey um, of a, the, the back and forth of, you know, we hope we you know we're hopeful you know this might happen but being secondary melanoma you know didn't have a great track record um and so there was always this forward and backwards you know oh this is looking good things might actually be okay and then in the background there's always that yeah but you know and then things would crop up and um so i you know i learned an incredible amount about caring for somebody and all the intricacies and the the ups and downs it was an amazing um amazingly useful um, opportunity for me to learn the, the, the real journey of, um, a, of, of what it's like to, to be dealing with cancer. And, the, and the, like I say, you know, one minute you're hopeful and the next minute you're not. Instead of, as a nurse, you know, I only, I've only ever seen um, uh, what I see in a clinical environment. Um, and I sort of would have, would have had a fairly... Uh, a much more black and white approach. Now, yeah. now I'm much more grey about um, all the possibilities. You know, I, I, I hold all the possibilities, and the same with grief um, and bereavement. I've I've learnt so much about that too that I couldn't have I couldn't have learned any other way. Mm-hmm. Mm. What role has music played in all that? You, you know, music and performance has always been a part of your your life by the sound yeah. of things, but yes. But the Salvation Jane, the, the the band that you founded thirty years ago, um, death, dying, grief, bereavement—such a, a rich area for 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 artists like Salvation Jane. Tell us about the role that music plays in in all this. Well, I think music taps into places that we can't access um, 
from our you know, our conscious you know, thoughts. Uh, music invites us into spaces that um, can uh, touch parts of us that that we can't access any other way. Um, you know, I've, I've been a musician all my life. I can't remember a time when I wasn't singing and I wasn't surrounded by music. And it's it's given me incredible experiences through my life and it's um, it's given me the opportunity to express so many things. You know, even when Bill and I were performing together, um, it the music that we chose was always reflective of our relationship and then even as time... Uh, as he became more unwell, we started choosing songs like Digging My Grave. <laughs> so so um, uh, and, and things like uh, there was an Adele song, uh, Make You Feel My Love um, mm-hmm. and I'll Take Care of You, you know, all these songs that, were, that would express so much more than me just saying, you know, I love you or... Yeah. Um, and, and, and being able to share that experience together, like, you know, the two of us playing music together, for example. And the same with Salvation Jane. We've, we've always sung bluegrass gospel a cappella. Um, that's been the, the bedrock of our most of our repertoire mm-hmm. all that time. Um, and we, even though it's specifically Christian, you know, talking about Jesus and all that sort of thing, um, I think on a, on a bigger level it's more about um, expressing uh, the spiritual part of us, you know, that tapping into something that's greater than us. Yeah. And that's definitely a human experience, a primal human um, tendency that, that's, that's been expressed all the way through human history is that, that seeking something greater than ourselves. And I think to be able to sing uh, about all that um, has been an amazingly rich experience for me. I'm, I'm forever grateful to music. I'm ridiculous, like I'm speechless <laughs> about how music has, what what music's done for me. And I'm I'm sure the Salvation Jane audience feels the same way, Rose. As you say, music unlocks that that door to that bigger thinking that 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 can. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we don't know, you know, we put the music out there, we have no idea where it goes or what it does for people. But but people, you know, especially harmony, there's something that yeah. um, I've done a little bit of um, sound therapy uh, study and just the understanding that, uh, that sound can impact on us physically and emotionally. Um, and it, it's an a, amazing benefit and, and using harmony to... to um, to heal and to make people feel better. Yeah, it's a, an enormous privilege to be able to sing for people and to see the faces, um, you know, see, see people just enjoy it so much. Yeah. Rose, you'll be in front of those faces again at the National Folk Festival mm. this Easter long weekend in, in Canberra. Salvation Jane are in rehearsals at the moment. You're together over the, the weekend, getting the band back together again. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. What what can we expect at the National Folk Festival from from Salvation Jane? What's the plan? Uh, we've got um, about three performances and a workshop. So the workshop um, is singing bluegrass gospel. So we've got a song to teach you all, um, and uh, again that that opportunity to sing together in a in a large group is just yeah. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Um, we're also doing a set with um, with an Americana focus. Um, 
and uh, we've got a guest guitarist uh, performing with us, uh, one of our um, members, Penny. Her brother Tristram is coming to play guitar with us. So that's always great. It always adds an amazing energy to, um, to our performance as well. And then um, uh, a couple of performances that are just us doing our thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we can't wait. We're really excited. Rose, thank you so much for sharing your time and your, your work and your wisdom with us today. We wish you well. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Can I just give a little shout out to my team members at Northeast Health in Wangaratta? They're, they're an incredible team and I'm. Um, it's an enormous privilege to be working with them. So love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so much, Rose. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. It was, it's been great. Rose Sexton there, palliative care nurse and member of Salvation Jane. Whether you've tuned in via Spotify, YouTube or one of the socials, thank you for being part of the Thursday at 3 community. You'll find more information and support at the Palliative Care Australia website. And if you'd like to support our work, please consider making a donation via the link in the show notes. Catch you again next Thursday. Ta-da.